All right, baptism. I want to jump right in. Uh, I don't have a specific verse that we're going to just uh, lead off with. We've got a lot of passages that we're going to cover. So what I'm going to do right now is I begin to jump in. I'm just going to pray, and then I will begin to kind of unravel the whole picture. In fact, um, just uh, we're going to take a deep dive in the subject of baptism. You're welcome. The two of you that got that joke. Take a deep dive. Anyways, I don't have to. I shouldn't have to explain this. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to get to work. So, Jesus, thank you for our time together, for the work that you want to do in our hearts. We just pray, God, that you would open our minds, our thoughts, our eyes, uh, our senses, God, to what you have to teach us here today. So, may you come and instruct. May you come and inform. And God, most importantly, may you come and transform, reshape us. So that our lives are formed and framed around you, Jesus, the chief cornerstone. That we want to completely participate in everything that you have for us. So we just offer up this time in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So sadly, throughout the ages, 2,000 years of church history, uh, baptism has been one of those subjects that in some ways has been debated over, but also at the same time has been the source of incredible celebration. Um, what I want to kind of ask is the bigger question, like what does the Bible have to say about baptism and what's the meaning of it and why do it? Why should it be something that we engage in? And, um, and what I want to look at to more better understand like what baptism is and not just simply look at one particular particular passage, I want to basically follow throughout the Bible a theme um, that basically trends from really the opening sequence of creation all the way through to the New Testament. And hopefully that theme will not only help provide some um, information for us in terms of considering and processing and thinking through what baptism is all about, but really hopefully would actually provide some degree of formation for us that would help us to look at our lives and say, what's shaping us? What are the processes or the ideas or stories that are making us the people that we are today? And are we saying yes to those things? Are we saying no to those things? And uh, begin to kind of make sense of all that. So as I mentioned, to better understand, I think, the subject of baptism, I think we need to trace what's commonly known as like design patterns through the Bible. If that's a phrase that's unfamiliar to you, hopefully um, this like, little study this morning will kind of open your eyes to something that's like a, like a Pandora's box of goodness, like beauty and truth and goodness that we kind of like uh, front-loaded in the Bible that kind of leads us to a life of transformation and change. So these design patterns really, at the end of the day, are these um, images or ideas or events that are oftentimes repeated over and over again that kind of form certain themes throughout the Bible. Um, each pattern, for the most part, develops these certain core themes that ultimately lead us to the person of Jesus. Uh, so the theme that we're going to look at, I'll just kind of tell you up front um, what the big theme that we'll be kind of looking at, is this idea of God bringing salvation or God bringing life through these chaotic waters. So that's kind of the big theme that I want to just kind of uh, put as far as a label that we will then begin to make sense of that. So uh, the, the text itself will basically verify that and kind of authenticate that, but that's the big theme. God brings salvation through chaotic 
water. So already, if you're kind of thinking in terms of like baptism, you should be thinking in terms of the last part of this idea of baptism, someone going under the water, and then at the front end, like God, how, how is that God bringing salvation through chaotic waters? And hopefully all of the content that we're going to look at in between will be helpful in helping us to think biblically through this. Before I jump in, I think it's important to just kind of note two specific things. Um, on the one hand, um, Jesus, his followers, the entire community of first century uh, believers— Jewish people, um, as well as those that were the first uh, people part of these Jesus communities, um, every one of these people, they found and they formed their identities through their shared history and traditions. It's really important to note this. So in other words, if you were to go and randomly pull someone out of the first century that was considered themselves a Jew and ask them or a follower of Jesus, you know, who, who are you? They would say, who I am is linked to my history as well as the traditions that my history has given me. That's what they would say. That's how their answer would be. <clears throat> That's radically distinct from <clears throat> you and I as Westerners. And in that sense where this this idea for us, it's a foreign concept. And here's why. Because as Westerners, for the most part, we more than likely have distanced ourselves or been a part of a community of people that have distanced ourselves from our history, um, as well as judging it, looking at our history. I mean, we see this definitely within the past, you know, two years for sure, uh, looking at the collective history of Americans and saying it's, it's a horrible history. We should never go back there, and we should distance ourselves from it as much as we can and remove ourselves from it. And a lot of disdain, a lot of judgmentalism that can often has be, for some for right things, of course, some for other things, but I think there can be a dismissal of this. But then that leads to a new idea in terms of traditions. What are the traditions that form us? And I would say for us as modern Westerners as well, we have sought to untether ourselves from traditions. So what has replaced it is this deep sense of individualism. And and you know what I mean by this, is this idea that says, nobody shapes me. I'm a self-made man. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm not an American. I don't follow the American lifestyle. I don't follow the American dream. I don't do what my mom tells me to do. I don't do what my grandma tells me to do. Whatever traditions that they had imparted to me, those are oppressive, and I've denied them and ran from them and untethered myself from them. That mindset is you and I, all of us, like to some varying degrees, some of us more so than others. But the point that I would make is every one of us, we drink from that same well. You may not know it to the extent that it might be obvious to some, but this is the well that we drink from in our modern world. Now, the point that I would make is not a judgment on anybody. It's just simply an observation that we have, for the most part, in this modern context, have sought to kind of remove ourselves or judge our history and be at least questioning any form of tradition. That's not the mindset of first century Jews or followers of Jesus or those that have been part of the story of the Bible. They've had, uh, again, that doesn't mean that they, they've embraced or accepted all of their vast history because they can easily look at their history and be like, oh man, there's some horrible things that happened throughout the history. In fact, if you follow the prophetic literature, the prophets have no problem criticizing Jewish people and what they've done in the past or the sins of the collective whole. They have no problem with that, but that doesn't mean that they divorce themselves entirely from that history. So with that being said, I think it's important for us to just think through this because what happens from how we view our history as well as our traditions will ultimately end up shaping us with regard to the various types of practices uh, that will shape and form us and make us in the people that we are. In other words, the normal practices that we find ourselves engaged in today as a day-to-day are directly linked to how we view ourselves. This idea of identity. Who are you? How you answer that will be an indicator as to what's 
shaping your sense of self or your identity. Again, Jews saw we're linked to this ancient historical story. Therefore, we've allowed the traditions to shape us. Modern people are like, I don't have any story I look to. I'm a self-made human being. I do what I want when I want. And if it's helpful for me, then maybe I'll do it. If it's functional for me, then maybe I'll enter into it. But the point that I make is this, is we have to, first of all, before we even begin to dig deep into this idea of baptism, just acknowledge the fact that we find ourselves at a little bit of a disadvantage. So with that being said, my hope would be for just a brief moment as we begin to look at the teachings here to at least step back, identify some of these elements inside of us and say, how can God begin to shape me or reshape me in new ways that allow me to enter into all that God has for me? So that's that. I want to begin beginning to look at this idea of this theme of salvation through chaotic waters and how it ultimately leads to Jesus' baptism and the development of this practice that we commonly know as baptism today and that we will actually, as a church community, be doing next week. So before I even jump in, I want to just put a quick like little you know, invitation to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've never been baptized, I want for you to at least listen to this with an open heart that says, maybe, maybe this is something I should step into. Maybe as a, as a form, formative type thing to look at your life and look at how this bigger, broader storyline reshapes you or makes you into the person that you are, that you, my hope would be that you would, by the end of this, be like, man, I, I, I want to get baptized. Not because I'm being forced into it or guilted into it or shamed into it, because I want all that Jesus has for me. Now, if you are a Christian, on the other hand, and you've been baptized, don't fall asleep. Don't get distracted on your devices. Um, look at this as a sacred moment to really re-examine all that God did for you. So in other words, by looking at, in a new light, this vast history that you have inherited and that you are part of, that it would really give you a deeper sense of your baptismal identity. That God has done something for you, in you, that you are a part of. You didn't deserve it. You didn't merit, merit it. You didn't make it happen because of some sort of like conniving, conniving that you did. That it was by grace God saved you. By grace God pulled you from those dark, chaotic waters of anti-creation to rescue you just for his mere pleasure and delight in you. How good is that? Okay, Ready? So what I would do right now is we're going to just go through a journey throughout the Bible, right? Open up to the book of Genesis chapter 1, if you want. You can open up there. Uh, I'm going to basically give you more highlights of these various movements throughout the Bible. And then I'm going to end in the New Testament, specifically at the life of Jesus when he gets baptized. But I'm going to try to be as succinct uh, with this information as I can so that we don't get too distracted and time goes away. So number one, this idea of Genesis. So in the very beginning, if you're familiar with the story, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, or tohu bohu, uh, the idea of, of shapeliness, or shape, no, no shape. And what God does, it says the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God uh, hovered, vibrated, flew, brooded over the face of this chaotic deep. And then God begins to separate light from darkness, darkness, uh, the wetlands from the dry grounds, which then creates this habitable surface for human beings to be able to live. So in other words, in order for humans to live on planet Earth, God brought the Earth through this place of chaos into a place where orderliness and shalom could then begin to reside. So God separates the dark, chaotic waters. He creates space where life can flourish. Jump on forward to Genesis chapter 6. 
we see kind of in between then, human beings come to populate the earth. Human beings begin to make decisions, beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, if you're familiar with it. Uh, they're told to have an enjoyment of everything that's in the garden, except there's one tree that God says don't partake of, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I think a lot of scholars would tell you the reason why that was the big idea behind that was because God says, I want to reserve the idea of knowledge and good and evil for me being the one to give that to you. We would call that wisdom. That's what wisdom is, by the way. Wisdom is when somebody else older than you, beyond you, above you, has more experience than you, comes into your life, says, hey, this pathway, that pathway, don't follow it because it will lead to darkness and chaos and destruction. This path, this path, this path, follow it because it will lead to life. But what happened, obviously, Adam and Eve basically broke ranks and says, we think we would prefer to choose for ourselves. We don't necessarily need God being the one to drop information or wisdom upon us. We can figure this out on our own. Which, by the way, um, all human beings have continued consistently to do throughout time and age from the very beginning. But that does not lead to enlightenment. It actually leads to darkness. That does not lead to life. It actually leads to death. That does not lead to greater sense and experience of love. It actually leads to incredible alienation. And that's what happens. In other words, if you want another word to kind of basically be superimposed over all of that, it leads to chaos. Chaos, which then begins to, you know, develop or degenerate, if you would, down into death. We see Cain and Abel, the massacre, the murder that happens there. And we continue to see death begin to spread throughout humanity. It gets so bad, we kind of get to the point in Genesis chapter 6, where the entire earth is filled with chaos. God responds, God unleashes, as we're told, uh, the, the waters of the deep. We are familiar with the story of Noah. These waters, these uh, chaotic waters begin to bring destruction and, and, and a, a, a pronounced reshaping of everything that's on planet Earth. And what we see with regard to this, that this world that was subjected to these forces of anti-creation through chaotic waters of the deep, again, some of these are just bullet points I'm reading, um, and then ultimately from this chaos, God then rescues at, or Noah as well as his family and then brings them onto dry ground and basically forms humanity 2.0. And God begins to start again to some degree with the sense of a new creation on planet Earth. But again, the theme clearly is salvation through chaotic waters. Skip on down in the book of Exodus. So again, this is fast forward several hundred years or if not thousand, you know, who knows how many years. Lots of, lots of time. Lots of time frame transpires from Genesis chapter 6 all the way down to Exodus. Now we know within a story that uh, it picks up where the people of Israel have kind of migrated as a, uh, as, a, as a migrant community down into Egypt and there they reside. And ultimately what ends up happening is uh, at the very beginning, we see uh, there's a, a mass uh, murder that begins to basically get spread uh, by uh, Pharaoh, saying we're going to kill and slaughter all newborn children. This is his way of basically uh, protecting his government, his kingdom, his empire from this rise of this migrant uh, population called the Jews. And so he was killing all the babies. And what ends up happening is we see Moses is rescued. And the word that's actually used there is that he was put in an ark and sent down river. <laughs> so that's literally like, it's, it's the exact same Hebrew word for ark. And so again, you have to step back at some point and be like, is, is this intentional? Was this an accident? No, it's, it's by design. God is the author of this. God used human agents to basically write this down. And this is God's way of kind of hinting, hey, so, uh, Moses is rescued from the chaotic waters by way of, of an ark. You know, chaotic waters that would ultimately lead to his death through this little ark, this little boat. 
And then we begin, begin to see kind of fast forward a few generations. Uh, Moses is now fully an adult. Uh, we see the children of Israel under the oppressive hand of the uh, government of Pharaoh. And what ends up taking place is that God hears their cry. God hears their moment of desperation. And God begins to respond. He calls Moses to basically be the one that's going to lead them out. If you're familiar with the story, uh, Moses brings the people to the edge of the Red Sea. And it's within this particular context that uh, he leads the people of Israel out. This is a story around Exodus chapter 4. Um, God remembers his covenant with Abram. He appoints Moses to be this deliverer. Uh, he describes the people of Israel as my son. This is my, my son who I'm rescuing. Again, the language that we ultimately, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, Jesus is described as the son of God. Again, all of this is part of design patterns. And then we see that God saves his people from Egypt by leading them through these waters of the Red Sea on dry ground. Uh, if you want a simple phrase to think about this, uh, in this particular context, baptism, which again gets picked up in the New Testament, this very uh, metaphor, it describes this idea of coming out of Egypt. So baptism in this context, or coming through, uh, rescued through these chaotic waters, is, is, a, is an exodus or an exit from the land of Egypt. And all that that entailed, which, you know, on the one hand, they go back and they think about the leaks and the good food that they had. But then they forget the fact that they were actually in this oppressive system that was grinding them and destroying them. And it's kind of, you know, it's one of those things that oftentimes we can have, it can happen to each one of us. We can uh, be rescued from something. And then, you know, five years later, we look at other people that are in the very same spot as we were and get very critical and judgmental of them. You know, I, you know, I've met friends that have, you know, given up smoking and they were addicted to smoking for many, many years. And then they, uh, five years into it, they look at other people that are smoking and they're just like critical and angry how dare you how and they forget they it's easy to forget that god can rescue for something and then you kind of go back in that same criticalness and so what we see here is that they were rescued from egypt as a form of oppression uh fast forward about 40 years now uh the people of israel they come out of the wilderness or out i'm sorry out of uh, the land of egypt they wander in the wilderness for around 40 years god appoints another leader his name is joshua if you're familiar with this story uh moses actually ends up dying joshua ends up becoming kind of like the commander-in-chief over the people of israel he's not uh a leader in terms of a king but he's kind of a commander-in-chief um one that is a representative of god amidst the people and uh the people of israel they come through the wilderness through the desert of Sinai into the land of the region of the land of Canaan, or otherwise known as the promised land. I like to think of it as the, the land that God promised, right? We can think of the word promised land and kind of lose the fact that, um, hey, this is this territory, this uh, terra firma was literally promised by God saying, hey, this is going to be your territory. You're going to be able to raise sons and daughters and plant vineyards, and it's going to be your property. And what we end up seeing with regard to this is before they're able to actually enter in this land of promise, they have to cross a massive river. The river, by the way, is called Jordan, the River Jordan. And this is really important. It's important to make note of every these little details that I'm kind of throwing out here because it all plays in the larger theme of the story that we'll unpack in just a moment. So we see that these priests are actually instructed by God to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which is kind of like this big golden covered box that basically carried the presence of God and it represented God's presence amidst the people of Israel. God's with them everywhere they go. It's a big idea that that was to carry with them. So as they step into the river Jordan, um, a miracle happens that the river like literally stops and they're able to cross from one side of the river onto the other side of the river. Um, So again, the big theme that's here is the rescue from the Red Sea through the water was a rescue 
out of Egypt, this rescue, now if you want to think of it that way, is into the land of promise. Out of Egypt, into the land of promise. Out of Egypt, into a land that God has given to them. Those are the big themes that we're looking at. Now, skip on ahead to the New Testament, and we'll take a look at the life of John the Baptist, and then we'll end with Jesus, and we'll finish with some final thoughts. We see with regard to John the Baptist. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you're familiar with this guy, John the Baptizer. And so he's a unique character in the Bible. Most uh, would identify him as like a prophet uh, figure, one that is carrying forth a message that's very unique. Uh, he happened, happened to be the cousin of Jesus. He's making this announcement. Um, in, in the New Testament, we see this pattern of salvation through waters, uh, really kind of beginning with this man, John the Baptist. Again, as I mentioned, he's a prophet that's tasked with this announcement of Israel's restoration and ultimately renewal. And we see this kind of in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. John's out there in this wilderness. He's a really unique guy. He wears like really odd sackcloth and ashes. If you're familiar with sackcloth, think of like a guinea sack or I don't know, like those big bags that, you know, coffee comes in. There's like really uncomfortable sacks. The big idea behind that was I'm going to just live my life kind of roughing it. He eats locusts and wild honey. This guy's gnarly. So he's out there in the wilderness. People don't even really know what to make of him. It's really kind of ironic because his dad actually was a, was, was worked for the Levitical priesthood. And so, uh, John, you would, you would assume would take kind of like the, the, the next rank underneath his father and kind of work within the temple. For whatever reason, John's like, no, temple, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm going to go out in the wilderness and create an entire different movement that's focused upon renewal and restoration and bringing the people of Israel that are far from God back to God. That's kind of his whole, his whole gig out there in the wilderness. Uh, he was an anomaly. People didn't quite know what to make of John because he preached with this incredible boldness. He ends up get, at, like literally dying by having his head cut off. Uh, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy story. I'm not going to go into it. But the point of the matter is he ends up saying some things that are not politically correct. He dies for it. So what we see is that John's out there proclaiming the coming of the Messiah King, calling people to repent, which is uh, another way of just saying, hey, change your storyline. Your story has been confused. Your identity has been uh, distorted. Your idea of meaninglessness or your sense of lostness in this world is directly linked because you've lost the plot line. All repentance is. Now, again, some of us, you may have heard the word repentant, repentance or repent, and you just immediately break out in hives because you've maybe been a part of a church that, that weaponized that word. And it was kind of this abusive, like, like paddle, like, repent for the kingdom of God. And is that, oh, I said, but really the word repent just simply means turn. Just turn. Change the operating system of your mind, of your heart. Think differently. Uh, receive a new download. Uh, receive a new upgrade from God. Change the course of action that you've been going. And this is what John's saying, is that repent. Turn from these alternative stories that you've been tethering yourself to and turn to this new story. So what's this new story? Well, he goes on to say he invites people to be baptized. This, that's what makes John so unique. It's John the baptizer, right? Uh, so from Jerusalem all the way throughout that surrounding region, he invites people to step into the waters of the Jordan to go under the water, to come back up out of the water. And this was a prophetic act. John's invitation was very intentional as a prophetic act. He was inviting them to actually do something, not to simply hear something, not to simply like take notes to a great sermon, but to do something. This is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not just simply an announcement that you can like take mental note of and be like, that's fascinating. 
hmm, let's go consider this for the next six months. It's, a, it's an invitation. It's a call to action to respond to this God that has initiated salvation on your behalf. This God that has, has, has sought to lead the way out of darkness and chaos and death and alienation into a whole new life, a whole new way of doing life, a whole new way of identity, of how you see yourself, of how you frame your life, of how you think about your money, how you think about your sexual identity. All of these things are reformatted around Jesus. This modern notion that says, I get to choose how I want to perceive myself. That's, that's modern, number one. Number two, we don't even know how long it's going to last because at some point it's, it's fairly modern, fairly recent that this has been unfolding probably since the around 1960s when the sexual revolution took place. We don't even know where all of this is headed yet. So to bank your entire life upon a rapidly moving and shaping, shifting, morphing sexual identity politic at some point could end up landing you in a place of deep darkness. The invitation is to repent from that, to turn from that, and to look into a whole new way of doing life, a whole new way of receiving an identity that God says, God declares about who you are and what you can become and the stories that have anchored you, not only you, but hundreds, if not thousands and millions of other people throughout the ages, ultimately falling upstream to Yahweh God, who loves us. How do we know he loves us? Well, the New Testament is just filled with the wrestling of those pages by saying we know he loves us because he demonstrated his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ did something for us. He took upon himself the consequences of our rebellion and anger and frustration. And he allows it to do to him what it's constantly doing to you and I that we oftentimes go on through life just ignoring it. It's interesting, again, the theme that we've seen here. Christians recognize that God's salvation comes through the waters. Careful, not around the waters, not in avoidance of waters, not in denial of waters, not in acting as if waters don't exist. We acknowledge the evil and the chaos that oftentimes these waters present to us. And God's salvation over and over and over again says, it's through those waters. Some of you have gone through some gnarly waters. Some of you have gone through chaotic moments in your life where you didn't know how to make sense of it. We, one of the songs that we sang, I lost it because I remember we went through, I, my, I was going, I'm not going to lose that, promise you. I remember going through a season, dark, 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 chaotic season, and that song, I, just, I would listen to it over and over and over again, just on my knees, weeping. And it was that that tethered me back to the story. I'm not alone. I'm not in a free fall. It feels like I'm alone. It feels like I'm in a free fall, but that's only how I feel. I do not trust my feelings. I trust Jesus. That's what a Christian is. And that's what we see shaping and taking form in the pages of the New Testament. That these are people, this is what John's inviting them into, is don't trust your feelings. Don't trust the system. Don't trust the priesthood that has been corrupted. That, you know, he doesn't necessarily say this. I'm adding words to his mouth. But, you know, that my father and all these other have been a part of. John the baptizer is saying, trust God by demonstrating your call to action by going through these chaotic waters of the Jordan and becoming this new community of God's people.
So we see this happening and taking place within the life of John the Baptist. And I want to finish with this last little movement, and then we'll be done. So in the life of Jesus, we see Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. If you want, you can open up your Bibles right there. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I'll read all of that, and then I'll make some comments on this. But we see that each gospel account, actually in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four accounts, uh, give special note to the actual baptism of Jesus. So there's something really important that the gospel writers want us to pay attention to. Now, each one of them has a different nuance to the account of Jesus. That's, uh, I really want to just focus on Mark. But the fact that each one of them point out that Jesus himself gets baptized is significant. Again, it should cause us to step back and be like, oh, what, what is Jesus doing? How did Jesus think about baptism? I'm, I'm fairly certain Jesus would have thought about baptism in the ways that I followed and broke down for us and followed up back upstream. Jesus would have seen himself as part of this community of people that needed redemption and healing. Not that Jesus needed healing and redemption. He came to bring the healing and the redemption. But Jesus identifies himself with human beings. Now, I don't know how you think about that. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. But it's very easy for us, especially in moments of chaos, to immediately default to this mindset that says, God does not see me. God does not care. God is indifferent. God does not love me. The story of Jesus completely frays that entire narrative. It destroys it. It untethers it. It reduces it. Because the story of Jesus coming to this world is the clear reality that God cares about humanity, your life, my life, more than we can ever even imagine. So much so, he says, I'm going to identify with every bit of suffering and pain and loss and grief that you've ever experienced. And what we see with regard to Jesus in verse 9 to 11, chapter 1 of Gospel Mark, says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And the voice came from heavens, You are my beloved Son. In you I'm well pleased. And if you're familiar with the story, immediately after this, Jesus goes out in the wilderness for how many days? 40 days, 40 nights. And then right after he's done with the 40-day, 40-night thing where he's being tempted by the devil, and rather than giving into the devil, just like the Israelites did in the 40 years of journeying, Jesus overcomes the devil. Jesus comes out of that experience. He immediately, we're told by the gospel writers, selects 12 people that are going to be part of his like inner core people. Why 12? Why not 14? Why not 26? You know, why not, heck, 1,000? Why? Because he's being intentional. Jesus is acting in a very clear way, saying, I'm remaking Israel around me. It's a, it's a whole new tribe, 12 tribes. It's a whole new relationship to God that I am the cornerstone of this whole thing. So listen to this, this carefully uh, crafted language. So again, uh, next slide, we'll think of some of these design patterns. So this idea of in the Jordan, this alludes to Joshua chapter 3, verses 4. In the Jordan, or coming into the Jordan, uh, out of the water. This definitely echoes Exodus chapter 14, verse 29. It describes the heavens being open. This, no doubt, seems to be a little bit of a hat tip at like, hey, remember Genesis chapter 1, heavens open, heavens parted, heavens split, or even the uh, subject matter of when Noah's on the ark and he sends out a you know, dove and it comes out and all of these things begin to take place. Uh, the next one it describes the spirit descended like a dove. Again, no doubt uh, reference to this 
uh, intro movement in the book of Genesis, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep, or Noah sending out this dove. And then lastly, this whole movement where it describes, this is my beloved son. Again, what is God declaring here? He's saying that Jesus is part of this deeply rich history of really broken people, but nonetheless have been acted upon by Yahweh God on their behalf. Jesus is saying, I'm creating, crafting a whole new thing. So as we bring some of this to a close, I want to just make a very clear note that none of this is by accident. (laughs) These are design patterns, very intentionally laid out as a means of establishing kind of an order. Like, again, even in the New Testament, we see Paul describing the idea of baptisms. I'm not going to necessarily read all these, but in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul would describe, um, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers, they were under the cloud and they passed through the sea and they were all baptized into Moses. He actually uses the language. Oh yeah, that whole thing, when they came through the sea, they were baptized into Moses. Uh, Peter describes it this way in chapter 3. We've been in a teaching series in the book of Peter. He says, when the presence of God waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, corresponding that of baptism, which now saves you. And then he goes on to say, it's actually not the, the act of baptism. It's not washing your skin clean. It somehow saves you. It's an act that God has done for you. We just go through that process of being baptized as a way of just saying, we're, we're in. We're in with all that God has. And then uh, the book of Acts, we see when Peter stands up um, on multiple occasions to proclaim and preach the gospel. One of the things that he invites people into, and I'll just read this to you and I'm done. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says this, And then Peter then said to this large crowd of people that were asking, Hey, what, what should we do? He says, Repent and be baptized. In other words, turn from the alternative stories and narratives that you have been telling yourselves or identities that you've either uh, crafted on your own or you've you know, downloaded from social media feeds. You know, they didn't have that, but get the idea. He's saying, like, like, receive a new identity. Repent and be baptized. Enter into a whole new water-bathed, water-washed, blood-bought identity that makes you new people. And he says, each one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Again, we see this practice over and over and over again. So in finishing, I like to think of it this way. Baptism was both taught and practiced by New Testament followers. Jesus was baptized. Jesus instructed others to be baptized Thirdly, we see that Jesus' people were always baptized. So again, I want to finish where I began. Those whose identity are formed and framed by Jesus, they get baptized. This is what we do. It's like, like yes, call to action. I'll step into that. That's who I am. I, I am blood-bought. I am washed. Jesus has cleansed me. And getting baptized is literally just me stepping into all that Jesus has. Those whose identity are formed and framed by individualism or pragmatism, we might, we might, if it's suitable, if it's not inconvenient, if it's not, you know, too cold, if it's, you know, I mean, again, I, I'm not in any way trying to make anybody feel anything other than just to think, to consider. Again, a world that's framed around individualism or pragmatism, in other words, is it convenient for me? Does it work for me? Um, you throw out another word, is the idea of therapeutic. We treat Christianity oftentimes as therapy. We think of Christianity as kind of like a pep talk for the soul. Makes us feel better. We want that type of message that makes me walk away. It's, just, it's kind of like a, you know, I don't, like, a, like, a, like a TED talk that helps me to live better. That's not what Christianity is. There may be elements that help us feel better in life. That's, that's okay. But at the end of the day, it's a completely 
new way of being human and living our lives with a renewed identity from God situated in this historical like lineage where the history of God's people and the traditions of God's people are my history. My traditions. This is so amazing when you begin to even think like the Psalms. Those songs that we sing oftentimes called the Psalms, 150 of them, that people throughout the world have sung for thousands of years. People in the greatest moments of despair, I think of Psalm 23, like in the greatest moment of desperation, in the valley of the shadow of death, they pray that prayer. That's, that's your song, if you're part of this tradition. That's your song, if you're part of that, if that's your history. That's your inheritance. That song has provided hope and help and healing to so many people. That's yours. That's the beauty of having a history that's shared and having traditions that are given to us. Again, there could be some traditions that have nothing to do with the Bible that, you know, we see Jesus even confronting those. But there are also traditions that are deeply rooted in the Bible that Jesus does. Communion is another one of those where where we as followers of Jesus say, this is our inheritance. This is who we are. So brothers and sisters, our world right now, I would say, is in a crisis for identity. Collectively, we don't know who we are. We turn to our devices. We turn to social media. We go hunting and packing and scrolling endlessly, looking for an identity that we can affix and attach ourselves to. At some point, that becomes utterly exhausting A new way of being human is to listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and tired and exhausted. Take upon yourself my yoke, my history, my life, all that I have to offer. It's yours. I give it to you. No charge, no strings attached, no hidden fees, no small print. You will lose everything, Jesus would say very clearly. Hey, the big print, it's not small print. The big print is you will die. Just get ready for that. You will have to take up your cross. There will be things, passions, longing, desires, entitlements that you will have to say no to. But you're really not saying no to death. You're saying no to something that Jesus then says, life. Do you understand what you will be inheriting? It's far better, far vaster, far greater than anything you can imagine. It's like going into the grave and coming out the other end alive. It's like baptism. <laughs> I want to show a little video, and I'm, I'm done. Here's a video of a past uh, baptism that we've been a part of, and if you've never been to one of our baptisms, this hopefully will give you a little flavor. Baptism is... Probably one of the best times that we have out of the year to just remember what it's like to have brand new life in Jesus. Jesus not only gives new life, Jesus washes and cleanses us. Jesus brings people into a brand new family. And, and that's, that's what baptism is all about. And that's what makes this whole event so powerful and transforming because every human being has a sense of being broken, and filthy, and dirty. Every human being has a sense of feeling alienated or lost. And every human being has a sense of dealing with death. And yet Jesus undoes all that. And that's the story of the gospel in short. And we get to celebrate that in every person that gets baptized.
fact that they are following you, that demonstrate the fact that you have acted on their behalf, that you've washed them, that you have cleansed them, that you have taken them from alienation into a family, that you have given them life in exchange for death. And so, God, we pray right now that as they go in the water, as they come back out, that it would just be the recognition of a brand new life that they have to live ahead of them. Listen, um, I'm actually going to, we're a little bit late, so I'm actually going to just, we're going to finish. Is that cool? Yeah, cool. All right. I'm going to invite you guys all to stand up. And what I'm going to do in closing, I want to just pray for us. Um, and before I pray for all of us, uh, I want to invite those of you that maybe have never been baptized. I just really think, I'm not going to call for a show of hands or anything like that, but if you would like to get baptized, um, I'd love to chat with you if you've got questions. Um, if you don't have any questions, I'm going to show a little uh, slide up here that has a barcode um, if you have not ever been baptized or if you just like more information about what the whole thing's all about um, please go ahead and just whip out your phone right now it's like one of those moments in church where we like authenticate whip out your phone use your phone it's okay you don't have to feel guilt or shame just use your phone scan that and get information and get signed up for that um, and then uh, I want to pray specifically for those of you that are maybe thinking about it, and you're just like, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. I still haven't maybe yet been fully convinced. And um, and if you are here this morning and, and you know Jesus, and I want you to just step back and think about what that means, who you belong to, what community you belong to. Just like any family, you don't get to pick and choose your family members. Some people object. They're like, well, the Christian family is kind of weird. It's weird people. Welcome to the family. I don't have to tell you. It's, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like deny that. Of course, That's some weird people in the in the church. A lot of them just show up on my Facebook feed a lot. So I I get it. Um, but the beauty is, is that Jesus is crafting something that will last forever. That will carry you through darkness. That will sustain you in moments of chaos. That will give you hope when it feels like your only options are a little bit of despair or a lot of despair. Jesus offers something that right now is not available on planet Earth. It's literally not available. I heard a great quote talking about just social media and how we were crafted, we were made for community and communion and we oftentimes end up settling for connectedness it's like you're made for good food and we just end up spending the rest of our life eating what is that called jaybirds i mean i want to eat that actually it looks really good but we just end up eating fast food that our whole life that's all that we have just like stuff that's not necessarily going to give us sustainability and long-term life or feeling good but the point of the matter is that jesus offers life and the response to that is what baptism is all about. So I want to pray for you if uh, you are thinking about this. So let me pray right now. Jesus, we thank you for the life that you've given to us in Jesus, in your son, remaking, reshaping us to become people that as all of us can attest, uh, we got a long way to go. But we thank you for grace that carries us and sustains us and gives us a future and a hope 
gives us a pathway on how to deal with hurt and offense and pain and loss and grief. How to forgive those that have been hurtful or caused deep wound to our souls. There's nothing else on this planet, nowhere else that we can go that offers the words of life. Only parody. So we thank you, Lord, right now. I pray for those that are just considering and thinking about potentially getting baptized. Would you move in their heart to just nudge them to take that step? They have questions about that. They would begin to get those questions answered. They would begin to, at the end of the day, turn their hearts to just full obedience and trust and confidence in you and receive all that you have, which includes this long history of life, of your intervention. And so we pray and ask right now all of these things in Jesus' name. We all said.